Welcome to the Color Bold Podcast, edutainment for teachers and school leaders, change agents and parents seeking to disrupt institutional racism in our schools and communities. We will share personal stories, liberation lessons, research and practical strategies for change in an honest, irreverent and engaging way. We'd love for you to subscribe, like, rate, and share our show with all of the teacher folk in your professional learning network. If you have ideas or suggestions for an upcoming show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at colorbold502 at gmail.com. Like and follow us on Twitter at colorbold502. And on Instagram, we everywhere, y'all. We hope to hear from you soon. This is LaRonda. This is Erica. And this is Marsha coming to you this week with a amazing topic that is the first part of a two-part series that we're calling Racialized WTF. The work edition is today and next week will be the home edition. So we're going to jump right in. Each of us come from a particular experience that is not white. As we've said before, I am black biracial. Erica is mixed race with Asian heritage and LaRonda is black. As we talked over the last few weeks, about, you know, how can we curate some really amazing content for you? And we've gotten some feedback from some of our uh, friends and associates. One of the things that kept coming to the surface is we all have these discrete, um, sometimes overt experiences around racism in our lives uh, because we know that critical race theory, theory says that racism is ordinary. So today we're going to talk about a few of our WTF moments that we've experienced at work in public schools that could be um, related to things that our coworkers have said, our peers, our bosses sometimes, and then even the students that we work with. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Um, let's start with LaRonda. Share with us your um, most salient or craziest WTF moment that you yes. experienced at work. Yes, there's so many. But um, I think I can narrow it down to one or two. Um, off the top of my head, WTF racialized moment as an educator. I worked at a school where using the N-word was a consistent occurrence amongst the students, uh, particularly the white students. That was a WTF for me. Um, actually, specifically a moment where I was in a classroom and a white student was having a conversation with his Black peers, and he kept calling them the N-word. And then again, um, an instance where he's singing along to a song with the n-word and he's just going right along with it and in my head I'm thinking how is this possible um I'm used to the students who are black saying it 
redirecting them. Um, but the white student, that threw me off. So I'm having to take the white student to the side and explain why we don't say that word. I was not ready to um, have that conversation as a professional. I didn't think I would need to have that conversation, more importantly, as a professional. So what did you do? How did you handle that? So um, two things. Again, taking that student to the side and saying, um, you know you're not supposed to be saying that word. And the explanation, which is probably common among a lot of white students listening to rap music or hip hop music with the N word in it, is that it's okay because it's in the music, it's in the song. I'm just repeating what's in the song. Or um, the rationale that I'm not saying the word with the ER on the end, the differentiating, I'm saying the word with the A at the end that's different so it's not bad and, and explaining i don't care if you saying the er or the a we don't say that word so explaining that as well as talking to the teacher of that student because i was not the teacher i was someone supporting the teacher in the classroom as an instructional coach so um having that conversation and letting them know to be on the lookout and to reinforce the redirection of students who are saying that word um any thoughts about that have you all had any experiences in that regard no. <laughs> is it just me was it just me <laughs> No. And I think, um, you know, you're making me think about too, because, you know, I worked in a high school where it was so pervasive among students. I think it normalized the use of the N-word for staff maybe was part of it because one of my kind of racialized WTF moments was, you know, hearing white teachers say the N-word in, you know, mm. a mixed context of, I mean, it was adults, but, and they were repeating something a student said, but at the same time, I mean, it's not okay for them to say it. And I even, you know, I was so shocked the first time it happened that I didn't say anything. And um, so I actually called you, called LaRonda, and told her about it. I was like, that's, that's not okay, right? They're not supposed to say that. Like, even in this scenario, it's not yes. okay. <laughs> that's, that's not you okay. Remember I, this it was, conversation? It was, it's funny that you had to call your Black friend. I'm kind of laughing because it's a serious scenario, but I appreciate that you needed affirmation from your Black friend. This is not okay, right? We don't do that. So continue. <laughs> yes. So, so then you um, empowered me to go back and set and talk to that teacher and say, so actually, you know, in this scenario, we talked about the other day, you're, you're not supposed to say this. That's not okay. And, um, and so then I actually had later that same school year, I think, or maybe it was the next one and, uh, and the same situation happened again. So I was ready. I knew what to do and say, and I was even sitting with, um, I was sitting with another teacher who was black and um, another white teacher and the white teacher who said it. And I didn't, I didn't skip a beat. I just said, that's not okay. You can't say that. <laughs> so how did they respond? So, what did the teachers, are the teacher in that context, if it was a group? So in the group context, the teacher said, oh, so, like he apologized right away um, and kept it moving. Um, and so, uh, and then the other times that it's happened. To who? Apologize to you? Apologize mm -hmm. to who? Who are you apologizing yeah, to? 
I think apologized to the group. Um, but then I had another scenario um, in a conversation where um, I pointed out that it was not appropriate. And the teacher, you know, that had said it was completely silent, did not say another word uh, for, mm. you know, the rest of that conversation session. So lots of different reactions. So interestingly enough, I I think that that is probably a very common occurrence, um, especially in the South. And even though where we live is, I like to tell people, it's as far North as you can be and still technically be in the South. Um, and also being in a very economically and racially segregated community um, that we live in, I think that it's probably pretty often that exactly those type of scenarios happen. Both of you all happen, happen probably more than people care to say. Uh, for me, um, my situation was kind of similar to uh, what LaRonda said, and maybe not as much as, uh, as similar to what Erica said. Um, when I taught African-American history at a high school, I had kids that kind of came from the same part of town that LaRonda's kids came from. And there are white kids and black kids that were just very, uh, very flippant about the N-word. And so it was African-American history. So I found an article from a book um, that kind of laid out the historical underpinnings for where that word came from. And when some of my black students heard that word, it made them take pause or well, read the article. And then they we talked about what, what were the historical underpinnings of the word. Um, it made them take pause about why they're using it. And then we had this long conversation about the use of the N-word in um, music and in black culture and in white culture. And it was a really um, powerful moment for some of these kids. And for the most part, they were juniors and seniors in high school. And it was also powerful for the white kids, probably more so now that they knew, like they knew where that word came from. They weren't going to repeat it in the song. So that was that was um, something that I kind of dealt with. And then on the other side, the flip side, when the administration found out that I was using this book, um, that the title of the book is The N-Word, um, and we can put it in the show notes, uh, a link to the book, um, I got fussed at and kind of got in some low-key trouble because I was even sharing that article because mm. the administration said it's an offensive word. And I said, well, it's an offensive word, but it's being used mm -hmm. in this building mm -hmm. and in our community, both by white kids and white people and black folks and black kids in our school. Like we need to have a conversation. And if you want me to teach a robust African-American history course, that's around history and also literature based, that's going to prepare kids for college you you got to let me you got to let me use it. So I had to like justify in my lesson plans why I was using this book. So they wanted to I remember no. when we first started um doing some professional development sessions together you had the image of ostrich head in the sand. Mm -hmm. That's what it just made me think I of. Yeah, about mm -hmm. that the ostrich in the sand yep. approach. Ostrich head in the sand 100%. What you said that so, most people are saying this. I'm going to go back to that cuz I thought that was interesting. Why do you think or maybe are perceiving that people don't understand the origin or why it's so offensive? Why do you think that is probably a thing? Um I think because there has been a very whitewashed version of history 
You know, I think that um, unless you are a woke teacher that has become woke in the past 10 years and is providing a kind of like Howard Zinn um, first person mm-hmm. uh, experience type of like education around um, history, history of, of um, black indigenous people of color mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. Most everybody else has had this very whitewashed you know, very whitewashed experience with learning about race in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are certain pieces that are kind of elevated. You know, everybody knows the civil rights movement, but nobody understands the historical underpinnings, deeply understands the historical underpinnings of right. why we're even where we are. And why is this word? Why, why should, why should people have a problem with this word? And then also the other side of it is when we talked about this, you know, a while ago, um, reclaiming the word for mm-hmm. black folks mm-hmm. and, and how, how is that uh, perceived by white folks? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that's I think a whole other They're saying it like, that's the thing. They're saying it. Why can't I say it? Right. Well, and yes. I think what Lorana raised to it. me, Why can't I rap it? when right. La- when Lorana and I talked, when that happened to me, um, I think what struck me was her response of, you know, if if it's rolling off their tongue so easy, you know, in a school setting, like imagine, you know, wh- what's happening in their home, like, mm-hmm. you know, what are they saying or what are they exposed to in their community if they're in a professional setting and they feel like it's okay to say. So I think that really struck me. And well, I think it goes me. back to what Marsha just said. It is the whitewashing of that word being attached to not being human. Ultimately, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. If you're called that, you are an animal. You're not a human. And so not realizing that um, for me, slavery as a kid, my mother showed me pictures of lynchings. She she showed me the the whipped uh, marks and scars of slaves on their back. She showed me things that possibly people would argue with that a child should not see, but she wanted me to understand what it means to be called that and why Mm -hmm. we don't say that. And so I'm just thinking back to how did I understand the significance of that word and why wouldn't somebody else understand that? And you just, you perfectly described the education that people do not get at a young age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly enough, um, if I think back to that first class of kids that I taught um, African-American history to, <clears throat> um, the kids came into the class and they said, um, we're, when are we going to talk about Martin Luther King? I was like, uh, <laughs> we're not talking about Martin Luther. It's, it is August. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. We're going to go all the way back to Africa mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about African civilization. We're going to talk about African Kings mm-hmm. and Queens. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about Timbuktu and mm-hmm. the university there. And we're going to talk about Man, all Kamusa, that. Yes. We're gonna talk- mm-hmm. yes. We're going to talk about all of that before we get to Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so I have a, um, a gigantic book and it is, um, it's it's a compilation of some um, slave narratives from the Library of Congress. So there was this big push in the in the early 1900s to try to tabulate and get down all of these um, all of these 
slave narratives from people who were passing away. And so it was the transcription of that. And so I shared those with my students. And so instead of, you know, because the school would not buy me a textbook, I made my own textbook and it came out of that. Some of it came out of that book. And that was a shock for some of my students, especially some of my black students to be like, that's what it was like. I mean, I knew it was bad, but that's what it was like. Um, And so, you know, to bring it full circle, um, I think some of the students walked away with a more deep understanding of the, the history of the N word. And I, you know, I don't know if it, if it has continued to sit with them or give them pause before they say it or use it or listen to a song with it. Um, But I definitely think that, you know, they understood more about the word as a result. So um, can I have, I want to add one real quick, a a comment on that. um, Just like people being surprised about like, it was really that bad. And Mm -hmm. I just saw um, the movie, the Chicago seven. And I didn't, I mean, I was, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people say, you shouldn't be shocked by that. You should know that that happened. But when they had, um, you know, Bobby Seale bound and gagged in an American courtroom in 1969 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, like I was, that struck me in a different way than things I have heard about before, as far as mm-hmm. like kind of the, the atrocities that have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So Mathis. Thank you for sharing that uh, experience. We're going to move on to Erica. Uh, what was your what uh, WTF? I was going to say the word. Uh-oh. What was your WTF <laughs> moment? So I have been encouraged to uh, self-reflect by you all on you know my own experiences of marginalization as a mixed race Chinese white woman. Um, And I heard the term the other day, white adjacent, since most of my life has been um, very close to whiteness. Um, But I think, you know, in this in the scenarios where I have experienced um, more marginalization and these racialized WTF moments, um, one that, you know, stands out is students, um, you know, as a as an educator, students coming up to me and and these happen to be, you know, I think I may have had. Um, students of different races come up to me, but this in this memory, I'm thinking of black students who came up to me and um, would say like Ching Chong or, you know, kind of uh, tonal kinds of phrases to me and just sort of like, really what's happening? <laughs> Are you really saying that to me? Um, and part of that, part of the surprise for me is I spent, you know, most of my adult life in the Philadelphia area where there's just a much larger Asian population than um, than there is in Louisville. And so it was sort of, um, you know, more, uh, less common um, for things like that to happen there in my experience. Um, but when that happened here in Louisville, um, I kind of, you know, just didn't even know what to say at first. And then, you know, would address, address the students and said that, you know, I, I even, you know, I framed it not that that's the same in any way as the N-word, but it's just like saying the N-word, like you wouldn't like if I said the N-word or some other racist thing to you, like that's racist toward me. That's racist toward, you know, someone who's Asian to to make mm-hmm. fun of their language like that. And so just trying to open that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And LaRonda well, was actually I there. That, I don't know what, um, what you remember. She was there one time when it happened. What, what did I you believe, think, Mathis? And I believe in my head it was a WTF. Did, did this 
just happened. And me probably in disbelief looking at Earth like, are you okay? Because I can only imagine if somebody just ran up on me and just hurled the N-word at me. So, yeah, it was disbelief, if I recall. Like, did that just happen? Yeah. So, you know, I think that, well, first off, I want to say thank you for, you know, reflecting on your experience and um, accepting the the pushing. Um. <laughs> Um, Thanks for the so opportunity. For me, my W. You're welcome. Thank you. No, thank you. Um, so for me specifically, I think about a time when I had just arrived at a new school, and I was working with um, with mostly seniors to get them ready for college. And uh, upon arrival, I had kind of dug into the data, and it was clear that most of the students who were white were attending college or going somewhere or making a choice to attend some sort of post-secondary something, whether it was college or like the military. But the black students in the school um, were not not in the sa- at the same rate. And even though many of the kids came from, and this is a very middle-class community, um, a lot of the black students were from very middle-class experiences. Um, And so I kind of was digging into what's going on. So I talked to one of the teachers who was there and, you know, asking some probing questions as I do. And the, the teacher who taught English decided to start quoting um, some of James Baldwin's um, I don't know. I can't remember if it's, um, I am not your Negro or which, um, which particular, um, you know, James Baldwin work it was, but there's a a reference to, um, the N word and who, who is the N word and how did we get to be this place and what, uh, what does it mean to be the N word? And of course, like contextually, we all know when James Baldwin was vocal, right? In the sixties. Um, and there's a lot of racial tumult and this, particular person was using the words of James Baldwin and flipping them on its side to kind of say like these kids think that they're the n-word so they're going to get treated like the n-word and that was um uh, he didn't say the n-word he didn't say he didn't utter it but he kind of but he time, affirmed that it's okay uh-huh. to someone yes, yes. like that like like this is all they, this problem. is all they are going to be so this is all they're going to be mm. this is all we're going to help them be and so i said hey you know i know that you don't know me um but i'm mixed and i identify as a black woman and i need for you to know that what you just said i can take offense to what do you mean this is all they're going to be who who what do you and i started asking a series of naive questions and um he began to what I call the body blush with somebody who's light. You see, they start, they start blushing at their neck. Then it creeps up their face and it goes up their head. And it was clear that, that there was a level of embarrassment. And then the backpedaling started to happen. And um, from that point on, well, he didn't talk to me again for about two weeks, even though our rooms were right, right next to one another, but it was a WTF moment for me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, Half of the senior class, maybe a quarter, is going through this class with this person. 
who doesn't think that they can do it. And that year, I want to say there was about 46% of the students were African-American at the school, which is a pretty high number, um, at least in, in the community that, um, that we're talking about. And I made it my charge and my challenge, my challenge and my charge to make sure that every kid who would talk to me about college access, who would look at me twice that I was going to boost the score or boost the number of kids who had made a post-secondary choice um, who were black. Um, Because I felt like, you know, that, that thought that this guy had shared was so pervasive. Like I I had to do something about it. So that was my, that was my WTF. And I dug my, my heels in and um, I never brought it back up with that, that person. But I think that, that conversation kind of set the stage for what I was going to put up with from, from that person and what I wasn't. Um, And it definitely changed the tone of the conversation moving forward. So that's my WTF. Well, and I think I I love how you talk about Yeah. And how you talk about the naive questions. um, Cause I think that's something I've learned from you um, and in seeing you model it too, of, mm-hmm. you know, disrupting racist comments, racist acts in those, in the moment. And, and I think that's empowered me over time to be able to do it more myself. So uh, I think that's, you know, one of my takeaways, liberation lessons from, you know, these experiences and conversations is to, you know, make sure to take the step to say something and not, you know, put my head in the sand or brush it under the rug or whatever, because it's, it's not okay. People need to know that it's not okay. And, um, and I think having, you know, you shared with us the um, teaching tolerance now uh, renamed learning for justice, um, their cards of, you know, speak up cards. And I think, you know, having the word like preparing for those, cause you know, it's going to happen and having the words mm-hmm. ready for what to say is, um, is a huge piece of it. I I agree, Erica. I think even it's probably situations that may not be as extreme as the N word, but even with the word um ghetto, because I've had two. Oh mm-hmm. my god! So much coded coded language. Coded language. So many um conversations I've taken colleagues to the side about coded language and ghetto is a trending topic and again like you said disrupting that and challenging that with questions as far as who who's ghetto which which kids who are you speaking about um so yes agree that that definitely is something to be aware of my liberation lesson um is definitely not just with colleagues but with students i have found found that many of my colleagues will ostrich, like we mentioned before, when it comes to derogatory language or coded language, when they hear the students use it. they And so again, um, Marcia, you mentioned the, your tolerance level, right? What you will and will not accept. And so just making sure that you empower students to say thanks to other students and empower- And adults. And adults, yes. And, the, and empower colleagues to say things to students to say, I do not tolerate that. Um, that is not right. And this is why it's not right. So that's my liberation lesson. Well, I appreciate both of those. And back to what Erica said, um, you know, not to be kind of cheesy, but there's a saying that um, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take, mm-hmm. right? And so if you don't disrupt 
if you don't practice in disrupting, you're never going to get good at it. <clears throat> if you don't try or address something because you're concerned about like the affinity or even let's put it this way, even if you um, are a teacher and you are afraid to say something to a kid because maybe you're afraid that their parent is going to be vocal about what, you, you know, you correcting them, that is, um, that is, that is a risk that you're going to have to take. Like there are no, there are no, um, things that you can do when you're on this path or you're walking this walk that are without some sort of consequence, whether positive or negative. Um, and you just got to be ready for it. Um, so for me, the, the liberation lesson is, is, you know, it's a real easy to talk the talk. It's a lot harder to walk the walk. And so for me, when I um, am triangulating the data as I was in that conversation with that particular individual, it became plainly, uh, plainly obvious and painfully clear <laughs> that um, there were some inequities in that building that had to be dealt with. And even if I was the only person who was going to try, I was going to try my dangdest. Um, and so, you know, um, there's a friend of, of ours um, who coined this term or this phrase she's actually the first person i ever heard say it um if you're going to talk about it be about it um and so that was what i was doing and so for me the, the takeaway or the reaffirmation of my liberation lesson was you know i didn't just sit by and let what this person say uh said about these kids be be the end of the conversation in that building and for the several years that I was there, that was, that was my, that was my drum to bang and I banged it loud mm -hmm. and hard. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So now what can you do? What can you do? You're listening to this. You hear our stories. You heard our WTF moments. You may have had a similar WTF moment, or maybe there's somebody in your life who shared a similar WTF moment. What can you do as an educator as a parent, as a professional, what can you do? Uh, Erica, what would you, what would you suggest to our listeners? I mean, I think a big part of it for me is, you know, exposing yourself to those, the potential for those conversations and not, you know, not turning away from conversations about race, being the one to raise the issue or be open to having the conversation in the first place because that's when, you know, you can see what comes out. And the more um, the more you do it, the more you talk about race, the more you have conversations about your own experience and listen to others, the more, um, you know, you can build the, the skills and capacity to disrupt, um, you know, the racist comments when people do make them. So I think just being open to the conversation, initiating the conversation, um, and then for me, back to what we've we've been talking about, some off air, some on air of, um, you know, just self-reflecting and continuing to to dig into my own experience as, um, you know, the Chinese part of me, but also my, you know, ties to whiteness and how um, I've been, you know, exposed in in different ways to um, to racism and perpetuated it. Great points. Yeah. Good point. LaRonda? Mm, so what, now what? So the so what, now what, recently, we, uh, Erica, if you recall this, had a PBIS meeting 
And this came up um, when we're trying to plan out our expectations. And one of the teachers literally said, we have this issue with students calling each other the N-word. So Mm -hmm. I think we definitely um, need to be mindful of, are we being intentional is what I'm trying to get to. My so what now what is, are we being intentional with what's happening with coded language, derogatory words, slang that our students use, and how are we addressing it in our school-wide and classroom expectations, if at all. Because the ultimate resolve was that as a team, we are going to address it and we are going to reinforce that as a school that we call people by their names. We do not use that word. We're not going to ostrich. So that was part of our PBIS minute. So, so what now would bring this up in your PBIS meetings, bring this up in your racial equity committee or teams, whatever you have in your school. If that is something, maybe it is not the N word, maybe it's other things that are derogatory that you hear students say that we can't just turn a blind eye to. Absolutely. Great points. Um, So for me, I think an actionable step for, um, teachers or administrators or anybody who's listening to this is you've got to start where you are with events, issues, um, interactions as they come up. Um, And remember that this work is not about, um, you know, dropping bombs or, you know, cataclysmic events necessarily that happen. It's about being dripping water and making an impact. And sometimes making an impact takes time um, for that impact to be seen. And I think that, um, you know, whether it is with your coworkers or your colleagues or your family, um, you can't always, you can't always drop a a nuclear bomb and expect um, the best kind of impact to to have happened. So um, just some things to consider. So, Thank you so much for joining us. Before we jump off of this episode, I want to hit you ladies with this question, um, our question of the day. What is keeping you going right now? We got this pandemic happening. School may or may not be going back into session. What's keeping you going right now? I'll go first. Uh, So I was thinking about it. um, And one thing that comes to mind is um, a mindfulness group for educators that um, it's actually our our dissertation advisor facilitates it. Um, Bradley Carpenter, shout out. Um, And so he does it every Sunday night um, for it's specifically for educators. It's 30 minutes of a sometimes guided meditation and then a share out. And, um, you know, I don't do it every single week, but most weeks I do. And I just realized it's Sunday, so I'm excited. And, um, you know, it's just really grounding for me and helps me clear my head for for the week ahead and has a nice kind of cap on the weekend. So you can find him on Twitter and DM him if you uh, are interested. It's open to to anyone, really educators um, that are interested in mindfulness and just well-being. Um, So it's that's been really great for me. What about you, Loranda? That's a good one, Erica, mindfulness. Uh, You made me think about I have the rain app on my phone. So sometimes oh I just let that play and just... I need to download that. I don't think I have need that. to with the sounds. And my favorite is rain. I love the sound of rain. So 
Um, you made me think about that when I need to just zone out for a minute and read. I'll, I'll play that or before I'm trying to take a nap, I'll play the rain out. Um, so for me, what's keeping me going is to not be thinking about work <laughs> and watching Netflix as watching Erica know they have crowned me the Netflix queen. So sometimes you just gotta escape, right? That's that's what movies do for me. I, I need to sometimes to not think about what's happening in the world, what's what's happening in my life and escape through a movie. So I definitely love to just watch Netflix um and, and protect my Saturdays. That's keeping me going. I do not do I don't open my laptop on Saturdays. So that keeps me sane to not be doing anything um, related to work. Um, so for me, I have a little bit of, of all of that. Um, routine is huge in our house. Uh, being the mom of four kids, you know, a- ages uh, 14 to, to four, Routine is huge, but also within that routine, um, during the school year when we were on before COVID really hit, um, I did not, uh, I did not do a great job of providing myself any time for self-care. Um, and except for, I would go get my nails done every other week. Um, but because I'm not trying to catch the Rona y'all, I haven't been going to the nail shop. Um, but I have been taking the time to kind of cultivate some things that are soothing for my soul. So I've taken up some art. Um, I think this podcast, Spending Time With You Ladies, is cathartic, um, even though you're probably, now don't get a big head about it, okay? You're probably like, what? You we talk to each other every day. I do love you. I do love you. Um, but let me borrow. So <laughs> uh, look, I'll, I'll cash nap you. I'll cash nap you. Let you hold a loose one. Um, so I... Uh, I've also been on the Netflix kick. So right now I'm watching the magicians, but usually it's like I fall asleep and I wake up at three in the morning and I'm about 18 episodes in and I got to re rewind it. So that's, what's keeping me going. Just the self-care opportunities for self-care. Um, so we're glad that you joined us this week. Um, come back next week because we're going to talk about the racialized WTF the home edition and it's going to be good y'all so with that being said i'm going to toss it over to erica for our outro this has been the color bold podcast racialized dialogue our work in turnaround schools and public education our work around social justice leadership anti-racist anti-bias and unapologetic race talk we're here to get real and we appreciate you joining us and we hope you will join us for our next episode If you liked this episode, we ask that you subscribe to the Color Bold podcast, like, rate, and share this with all of the teacher folk in your professional learning network and other friends too. We welcome anyone. If you have ideas or suggestions for an upcoming show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at colorbold502 at gmail.com. Like and follow us on Twitter at colorbold502 and on Instagram. We hope to hear from you soon.